for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. In our first part of this Geminar series, we had champion elk caller Mr. Tony Gilbertson with us. Then the second part, it was the world champ and Colorado elk slayer himself, Mr. Jermaine Hodge. In part three, we had the northern don of Alberta, Canada, the Canadian elk slayer himself, Mr. Travis O'Shea. And grinders, the hits just keep on coming. It's part four of our elk calling Geminar series. And on this week's show, Boy, do we have a treat for all of you. We have the very best elk caller I myself have ever hunted with. He has over 40 years of elk calling under his belt, and hundreds of bulls have fell under his spell. We call him El Jefe, WWJGD. That's right. We have the leader of the Elk Bros Nation and one of my best and dearest friends in the whole world, the man with the plan, Mr. Joe Jillia is our guest tonight. You won't want to miss a second of this show. Get your popcorn ready, folks, and settle in. This guy will literally teach you how to call your mother-loving socks off. That discussion, our Elk Bros shout-outs, and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. Boys and girls, let's get this party started. That's right. I'm back. 
I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host to your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and joining me tonight, we have the ninja from Cimarron, New Mexico, Mr. Leroy Chavez. We have the Venezuelan mafia tonight in the house, the northern Don of Dallas, Texas, Mr. Manano Bratarone. We have the legend from Cuesta, New Mexico, Mr. (laughs) R.C. Knox is in the house, and coming in from Colorado. That's right. We got the Colorado madman himself, the certified Elk Bros hunting coach, the founder of the Western Contours podcast and Western Fly Covers. That's right, Mr. Guy Duplanche is in the house. Last, but certainly not least, our number one guest tonight, the very best elk hunter and caller I have ever graced the mountain with the past 14 seasons. My brother from another mother and my very best friend, El Jefe, El Bros founder and El Bros brain trust, bringing you over 40 years of (laughs) El calling knowledge and success. Our champion, Mr. Joe Gillia. Let's get it going, El Bros. What's happening, fellas? What's going on, brothers? Uh, <laughs> we had a little velveteen rabbit going on. Wow. <laughs> I couldn't resist, man. Gil's on fire tonight, man. boy. We fired up, boy. We got the man, the guy who's made all this start tonight, fellas. We got Joe Gillian with us. He's not feeling good. He's kind of a little <laughs> under the weather, but we're going to pick that that uh, elk calling brain of his and get this thing started tonight, fellas. I think that was just an excuse, man, in case he misses the mark, you know, as, <laughs> as the guest on his own show. He might be a little bit nervous. <laughs> he can't, uh, we got to concur. He can't tell us what to do tonight, right? He's the That's guest, right. not the boss. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. He's the boss tonight. I, so I heard Hefe. Oh, I heard Hefe somewhere. Yeah, That's, on the, That's, That's on the other side. Look, don't acquiesce that <laughs> fast, Gil. Come on, man. <laughs> I thought Gil said, this, I'm the El Hefe. <laughs> this, is, this is a little bit awkward, man. I'm just releasing the reins and letting it roll, so... Uh-oh. Pretty cool, man. <laughs> well, I appreciate you entrusting. I appreciate you entrusting us tonight, Joe. Uh, we're sorry that you're feeling a little so, under the weather, but we're going to lead you down the right road, right road, and, and we're going to get well, this thing started uh, off quick with the Elk Bros mailbox. Beto, so, uh, Beto, ahead, so that me means he, he just released the rain, so that means we can both go, on, go unleash. unleash right? <laughs> That's what I'm <laughs> saying. It's an unleashed episode. Right. Oh, Everything oh, is pharma, bro. So you got yeah. little Tomas and little Clara. <laughs> and little he's he's uh, crying yeah. right there at the door. Can you hear We're going to read this, <laughs> reel these boys back in and get to our content because it's got a lot of stuff we're going to cover tonight, guys. Elk, we're going straight to our Elk Bros mailbox. These are questions that we've received on partner or solo calling. And, Chab, you're going to lead us off tonight okay the first uh question comes from chris mckelvey from uh, meridian idaho he says if i find a raked up tree and there's fresh sign in the area would raking on his tree be better better than just raking on any old tree to trigger a reaction well uh my opinion is that it doesn't matter if you rake on his tree, because I, I think basically when, when you rake on a tree, you're trying to get rid of your velvet. And, and, uh, I don't know how often a bull returns to that rake tree. You know, I may be totally wrong, but I, I, I think there's no significance in, in yeah, They're not like tree. white tails, I don't believe. Yeah. Or they're, dogs. They're, they're territorial rubs. Yeah. Um, but you know, that Chav is right, right? It depends on what Chris is finding. Uh, and shout out to McKelvey. He supports, you know, blue collar, Elk Bros, Definitely. and Western Conference. Absolutely. Chris. Chris is the bomb. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, because I know that they'll return to that same area next year and find a different tree in the same area, but I, I don't know how often they would return to the same tree. Well, I can uh, tell you a story about last year that I will, I'll keep it short, but I would go and I would kind of do the same thing. I'd rake, you know, in that general area of his rakes and, um, and rubs and whatnot. <laughs> He'd let me sit there and play and play and play. And I'd move on because it was, you know, 30, 35 minutes. And then I'd hear that SOB right back where I was at hitting that tree back up. And he was, he was an old bull man. And he was, uh, he was a ass kicker. Oh, excuse me, Joe. Sorry, but we're on the good. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that there is, there is territorial rubs or rakes that they use <laughs> in areas, right? They, they do get those glands. Um, and they'll, and they'll send that area up. And that's what, you know, kind of led me into that area was finding those, um, and marketing them and then trying to pattern that guy out. But, it's, it's just, you can't do what another bull elk does. So no. when he sees his scent gland on there and another bull elk comes and rakes the same tree, leaving his on top of it, mm-hmm. you can't do that. So you, you know, you can, you can go towards his, his territorial aspect just by yes. the sound, it's not going to yeah. help. So if you're just in the area where he scraped, man, I mean, wherever he was uh, digging on that tree, man, you're in there and, and it's that yeah. territorial time and he hears that. Yeah. That, yeah. then that's when that's how that's going to do it. doesn't, you know, I'm with Chab. It doesn't have to be the same tree. Just got to no. be the area to piss him off. So that's it. Yeah. yeah. And it just depends too. A lot of times depends on the region that you're hunting. A lot of these bulls travel a long ways between wherever their territory is. Right. So, I mean, uh, the best thing you can do is get him to make a sound. And when you get him to make a sound, then you can get in there in his house and go to work. You, you know? know, the, the problem with raking too, especially if you're solo is that bull, he's going to hear that rake. He's, Generally, he's not going to move very far to respond in kind, mm. right? He's going to start raking. Typically, he's going to be frontal behind something That's right. and raking. So if you do do that, you're going to have to stop your raking. You're going to have to pay attention, pay attention and listen, and you're going to have to move in. If you sit there and you think that you're going to have a rake battle like guys want to have, you know, bugle chuckle battles, uh, <laughs> it's just going to put you in a spot to where he's going to get tired of raking and he's going to turn around and walk away. So well, just kind of remember that. And you got to remember too that that whole territorial thing is during a specific time period as well, mm-hmm. right? right? It's it's that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've they've started rubbing off all that velvet, and they're still in their layer <laughs> basically before they've moved out to go after those cows, and they're yes. territorial to that area, especially those big boys there. And I mean, it can still happen when they have cows if they get to that space there, but I find that there's more of a gap in that one where that guy's kind of owning where his little lair is right there. So yeah. Or you get that big old pushed out bull, right? That bull that's on his decline past that breeding age. Um, you know, those, those Joe Gillia type senior bulls. Um, <laughs> and they'll, and they'll do that, oh right? They'll, they'll, they'll basically quarantine themselves <laughs> off in that area. Oh. And I've experienced that in Colorado, um, and, and in Oregon too. So I can see what kind of night this is going to be, man. <laughs> <laughs> Manano, Manano told me. She's sweaty already. Was unleashed, man. Yeah, unleashed you. <laughs> Joe oh is sweaty, bro. Uh. <laughs> Fantastic, man. RC, RC, you got my back, right, bro? <laughs> no, no. All the time. Happened. All the time. Yeah. Chris, I appreciate the, the question, man. It was a really good question. Uh, big thing is get in the middle of there and make that bull sound off. And when you're close to him, he's going to, 
he's going to respond to it. And I've seen Joe, we've had bulls hang up that want to talk and this, that, and the other, and they just hung up. And as soon as he goes and hits a tree, it's over with. Here they come. I mean, they come barreling in there because they know that they're displaying for a hot cow. we got a little glunking going on. And, I mean, it can literally be one of the best things you can do, but it also can be one of the worst things you can do at times. So it depends, like Joe said, depends really on the scenario. But anytime you can get him to be challenged, I mean, he's going to come see what's up. That's for sure. Guy, lead us into this next All question. right, out of Raywick, Kentucky, we got Jason Hardesty. Uh, <laughs> hey, guys, recently found your podcast and been binging. Uh, thank you for all the info you provide. I hear a lot about what you do when you find elk as far as calling. What I don't hear a lot about is finding elk. Let's say I have spots picked out for me scouting. I arrive and go to check those areas out. What am I looking for? When do I throw out the cow sounds? Am I constantly just walking and throwing out uh, the sound, or excuse me, throwing the sounds out? Do I wait till I find some signs? Should I periodically let out a bugle? I heard, I believe, Travis talking about the cow and calf sounds and how effective they are. Uh, but a few minutes later mentioned something to the effect that uh, if you will blow all the elk out, um, if you start making the cow mew, has me scratching my head. Uh, thank you guys for all the help uh, you provided this new elk hunter. There's a lot uh, of that's a, that's a big question. Since I read it, I'll, I'll break it up, right? Yeah. So I'm going to go, Manano, why don't you, you just, take what, what yeah, is, I'm going to take the part. Well, uh, I would say that he's, he should be looking for signs, first of all. As he, as he did some e-scouting, he should be, you know, going to the woods, Trying to see some signs, and then uh, he can go from there. And then he, he first of all, uh, he he have to uh, identify the wind. How is the wind playing? That's my first move, and then go yeah. for sign. Then he can he can start working on the calls. But uh, first of all, I would see the I would check the wind, then signs, and lastly uh, uh, calls. All right. Thank you, Manano. RC, when do I throw out the cow sounds? Now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I drop in the woods? Am I, well, no. I, I kind of like to wait till I, you know, if you see a few tracks and stuff. I, again, it's very, very important when you're in there to make Listen. sure that you've got shooting lanes, uh, I mean, you think like an elk. If I come into this scenario, which way am I going to come, and, and stuff right. like that? And yeah, you're so yeah much then more you can the then call. you can throw a cow call or yeah. or whatever yeah. you need to. But uh, I feel like once you've been into a herd, let's say, to speak of, then when you're walking, you can make like another herd walking beside him or trying to catch him or whatever. But I wouldn't call until I was definitely knew where I was at. And it's just like Manano says, make sure the wind's right. Make sure everything's right. Your setup's right. right. Yeah. As soon as you hit that cow call, man, it could be on you mm-hmm. like that. I exactly, mean, yeah. it happens that way. I've I've hit one cow call. Yeah. I mean, the bull's on top of you. You know, it literally yeah. can happen that fast. Uh, that exactly. that was kind of my point of saying now, right? I, I mean, assuming that yeah. this is mm-hmm. this is good scouting. 
yeah. right? This is good e-scouting and we've yeah. picked out those benches or those, or those, you know, elk hot spots. We'll Cor- travel corridors. Right. Yeah. So uh, assuming that that's why I say now go ahead, Chad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think Travis was referring to the fact that if you get really close to a herd and you introduce a strange cow call, the lead cow yeah. may not like that and just take off. So it might right. be better to start with a Be quiet. calf yeah. call uh-huh. or introduce it earlier before you, you get to that point. Yeah. So, so we kind of answered, do I wait till I find some sign with, with Manano and RC? So Gil, um, should he periodically let out a location bugle? You know, if I'm, if I'm, uh, early in the morning, right? Early, early in the morning, I haven't heard anything. I'm in the base of a canyon. I got the wind right. Thermals are coming my way. Yeah. I'm going to put out a little location bugle just to see who's going to want to play today. Right. Uh, and every now and then, uh, I, I may do that on certain ridges. We come to a ridge top, woo, you know, we will let out a little bugle, see what we get to stir up. Right. Uh, but for me, you know, <clears throat> for me, I'm always a lover before I am a fighter, but, uh, so I'll usually go to a couple of calf, calf and cow song sounds before I do the location bugle, just so I don't freak any elk out that are close in proximity. Uh, the calf cow sounds are much more herd talk than a big gnarly bugle. I mean, that's the thing is you don't want to be ripping off some big gnarly bugle on your location. It's just something super soft. And we'll get Joe to, you know, give us one here uh, in a little bit so you guys will know what a location bugle is supposed to sound like. You know, it's long and thought out and, you know, it's just casting. It's kind of like when we're fishing, we're casting our lure out to see what's a topwater lure to see what fish will come up there and take a look, you know. So I, I do like to location bugle, but it's generally as I'm moving from ridge to ridge, right, or in between ridge to ridge. So, Jojo, can you can you tie that all together, right? I mean, he's kind of spelled out his scenario. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we jump out the truck, we got the e-scouting down, um, and then we're going in. So can you just put that together, tie everything the voice said in for uh, for Jason there? Yeah, because you know I'm I'm with Manano, man. If 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 I'm going and hitting, just because you did e scouting, you can do the greatest e scouting in the world. And, Nothing. You know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. I, I really like to hunt scout or or get out there <clears throat> a bit and verify an area. Once I get boots on the ground, if you have if you're in season, if the if it has started, the hunt has started, then I'm basically hunt scouting, and I'm actually in a little bit different mode than I would be once I had elk located because, yeah. you know, that's what he's saying is is he's got spots picked out and he arrives to check those out. What am I looking for? Man, your Manana was exact. And, and I tell you what, I'm not worrying that much about wind at that point. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm going to move so that I always have the wind in my favor. My mm-hmm. um, but really, you know, sometimes I'm need to, needing to cover stuff and check it out, and the wind's not in my favor. And sometimes I'll sacrifice that to come back through an area with the wind in my favor if I have to. Like, if I know thermals are up and I'm up on the top of a ridge, I'm just going to uh-huh. rock the top of that ridge to get to a point where I might drop off and hit that, you know, a little bit of the side right. with the wind correct on me. But, man, I'm doing that. I'm running the ridge fingers. Um, I'm running any of and, – and I'm looking for 
those saddles or those crossovers or any kind of trails that those animals would have. And I'm looking for fresh track. I'm looking yep. for fresh sign. I'm, I'm paying attention to my nose, paying attention to my ears, and I'm using my eyes like crazy, man, because what I'm trying to do is verify, are there elk? I'm just trying to locate if there's elk in the area. Once I locate them there, then I'm going to start finding them. Slow man. down, yeah. And, and especially, you know, if if you're on one of those ridges, and I love the ridges that run east-west, yeah. right? I, I really like that because I've got elk that are traveling from north side over to the south side, you know, kind of back and forth. They'll get on top where it's a little bit <coughs> inches you know and i really like to hit that and look for all right where are they coming mm. through where are the pinch points are and i'll do the same thing for down in the bottom of those like you know when i talk about my knuckles i got my ridge tops up and i got you know those drainages down below and those elk will either work up those drainages especially if they're dark and thick right they'll work up some like timber working up to another area or down to other areas um so th- that's where you're going to find your main travel routes. And I don't cut out, man, when I'm driving on on the two tracks, I'm looking constantly for where elk are crossing there. Yeah. I, if I see a mud hole in a two track, we're off yeah, on the road. Looking, I'm yeah. stopping and checking it, man. So what I'm trying to do is verify where I got track. And once I get on that, then I start if I'm really trying to verify an area, um, I might hit that track, but mostly I'm going to go and I'm going to continue to find those areas where I can identify are there elk in them by finding the sign. So I think Manano hit it right on. Now, as far as when am I cow calling? So me, you know, the guy says, am I just cow calling? I don't ever... And, and this is something that I was going to talk about here a little later, and we'll get in more, but I really don't ever just single cow call except for first thing in the morning, especially early season, when I'm putting out that single mew that could be a bull mew as well and get those to come back to me. But I cow call all the time. But like RC said, when I do that, I'm always stopping Ready. someplace where I've got I've got something on my phone I know I can draw because, like Gil said, they can already be right off you, man. So I'm call casting, right? I'm throwing a call out that's close, that's quiet, you know, and then I'm going to go a little bit further. And then I, just like Gil said, I might reach out with a location bugle, man, you know. So I'm kind of just that fly fisherman. I'm checking that close yeah. little thing and then going out and then I'm going farther. And you know, to tie in what Chav said, that's all situational. You know, you when you're when I'm throwing out call calls, it's a time of year when I am actually fishing for bulls that are um they're traveling, they're advertising, they're looking, they're trying to find cows that could be um you know, big bulls and aren't even looking yet, you know, they're kind of staying off. So I'm doing those cow calls and I'm always in multiples. They're not single. I'm, I don't believe that it, it, to me, it's not normal for just a single cow to be sounding off because generally cows are with the herd, man. Yeah, exactly. You know? uh, unless something exactly. happened where they got pushed out from one by a yeah, and then there'll cow. be a lost cow. Yeah, or a lost cow. Oh, if yeah. I'm giving yeah. that lost cow sound, then cool. Well, yeah. so, that makes sense. Lost so most cow. of the time when I'm going, mm-hmm. I'm sweetening the pot, man. I'm, I'm going to be more than one cow, and I might have a calf with me. I might throw that in there as well. But I, I always like to 
portray of being more elk rather than <coughs> that hoochie mama going through the mountain and doing yeah. the same thing. So yeah. and now in what Trav is talking about there, man, is again, like Chav said, you come into a herd that's already, you know, uh, a bull that's already cowed up and you get up there and you just throw out a cow mew. It's not the bull that is going to go pushing them out there. <laughs> it's that freaking no. cow, man. Yeah. So especially if you're around a herd, a lot of times you just need to be quiet, watch the herd, right? And waltz up in there and kill that rascal, man. You may not even have to say a word, you know, you just walk right in there get, I mean, use your, use your woodsman skills, get the know, get your wind right and get in, but try to work your way in between the bull and the cows. But the minute you say something in and, in and around that herd, they, you, You've just announced your presence. Right. And that's why sometimes I like to call into it. That's where the calf comes in, right? If it's a situation, again, everything's situational, man. That's right. Because even if I have a bull with cows, I got to think about what strategy am I going to use, man? Am Mm -hmm. I going to get in his bubble and make fight or flight? Am I going to try to maybe be that display bull that's a little bigger and pull the cows to me? Am I going to use a calf talk to go to that maternal instinct that is going to pull those cows and then possibly that bull? But you got to remember, you pull cows first, the bull's going to lag. So, you know... There's always There's something a risk. situational and, and variable in that. But, yeah. you know, uh, it's a great question. I think a lot of people like, well, when do I throw out cow sounds? Dude, you know, I'm throwing them out all the time. And most of the time, if I've thrown something out, I wait a little bit as just like a cow would. I'm not going to be constantly throwing it out. You know, I'm going to kind of give those little traveling herd sounds. You know, as I'm moving, just like they would, like they would communicate, right? So, great question. Uh, can That's I can I question. ask you it real quick? I, I, so, you know, we in that between Gil and Joe, we talked about you know you're in the mix of the herd. If you're if you're that close to the herd and you got eyes on animals, you need to pay attention to what they're doing as you're calling, right? Definitely. Right. If what you don't do doing? that. You're right. What is their, the atmosphere, man? Yes, yeah. right. You you gotta you gotta pay attention to the room you're in. You if gotta you pay be in the room. The, you yeah, gotta. if you don't pay attention to that room, you're gonna be in trouble. If you're just sitting there calling, 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 you're yeah. gonna alert something. Something's gonna be off. It's not very elky just to sit there with no response and call, 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 call. So read your room, pay attention to that, and respond to their response. Yeah, yeah I know what they're saying too. Know what they're you really. This is where you really got to learn how to speak the language and understand the language you know, of what the herd's saying. You know. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I, I just and we'll talk more on that. But I thought Manano man did a great job, but yes. at saying you know he's going to the wind is always something we think about. Um, yeah. But you got to think about is it? it well, <laughs> I, I mean, it it, that, it, it, it <laughs> becomes. A natural, It's right? a natural element for us. Right. right. So if you, you hit the woods and you're like, okay, there it is, and you're constantly filling the wind. So you understand where you're at in that. Yeah. So I don't think that it's as conscious as, as we think it is, well, and I'm glad Manano pointed that out because yeah. I take it for granted all the time. Right. You know, I have I have hunters that, you know, uh, <laughs> they're, they're, I'm guiding them, and, and I'm going with the wind at our back, and, and they're like, what in the world? Yeah. Why are we going with the wind at our back? 
And I'm like, we'll turn and hunt this area and come <laughs> yeah. back. Yeah. Just, just be patient because yeah. I really know how I want to go through the area mm-hmm. to yeah. give me a better shot at it than trying to approach it here where the wind's going to either. Because wind be is interesting in the mountains, man. You can, it can seem one way on the top and you drop off on the side totally and it's different. doing something completely different. Yeah, because yeah, so, those, 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 uh, corridors bend the wind. They do. You know, yep. they do. Those fingers will bend the wind. That's, you got an updraft or whatever. It's just different. That's know? one of the things that frustrates me to a point with, with the wind conversations, right? Is because you got your thermals, right? You're up and down. Yeah. Then you got your prevailing wind and then you got your aerodynamics because of the landscape or the terrain features, right? And if you're in a open or closed canopy, or a spotty canopy, the wind's going to change. You hit sunlight, that wind is going to be totally different. It could be 12 feet away from you. So that's a, I actually have that written down for part of, I'm giving you a heads up, Jojo. Cool. <laughs> Fantastic question, Jason. Uh, yeah. Keep it locked down back in Kentucky, man. We hear you guys are growing some big bulls over there. So uh, maybe one day we can come over there and, and draw a tag in Kentucky and come hunt some of them Blue Ridge bulls that y'all got for sure. $10. Guys, you know what time it is. It's time for our Elk Bros shout out. <laughs> shout out to a few yeah. followers in our <laughs> cities. We're the most listeners topping our charts this week. Okay, so this is the one time I get to join in to the show, right? Okay. <laughs> because, y'all, um, first what we're going to do is we're going to go to our spin a winner wheel and see which of our reviewers is going to win one of our newest Elk Bros products. That wow, the solo. I can't even see it good in there. Look at that sweet thing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, it's going to be our soloist grunt tube. So, if, and for those people who are listening, if you're wondering what this is all about, for folks that leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or give us a comment on YouTube channel, and they have to include their name and where they're from, we're placing their names in our Elk Bros Spin a Winner Wheel and spinning for a winner. And usually this is for a Wapiti River call. And yes, I have not forgot you, uh, uh, <laughs> our last winner that, uh, one big, he said, winner, winner, chicken dinner. He's got one, <laughs> but we're totally back ordered right now. But, uh, usually it's for a Wapiti River and Signature Elk Bros Diaphragm call. But tonight, the lucky winner will be receiving one of the secrets to closing the deal success, y'all. And, and I truly believe it's our soloist grunt too. So y'all, let me share this out and. Sweet. Hey Joe, is this the first? Is this the first tube that we're giving away? Yes. yes. All right, I'm gonna throw in because it's the first one. I'm gonna throw in a Western Fly pack cover. Oh wow, dude! Wow, wow, man. So I'm gonna take this to full screen. Can you boys see that real good? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Yep. If All you right. guys ain't heard the Western Contours podcast, you better ask somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we had we had quite a few people that uh, sent in reviews, which were so awesome, man. A lot of cool comments and some really, really kind, cool reviews. So, going to click on it. Here we go. The drum roll. Yeah, I got the drum roll now. Who will it be? I see a lot of familiar names in there. Oh, oh, oh! Scott Jinks, Jackson, Montana. All right. Woo-hoo. Scott Jinks, Jansen, Scott Jackson, Jinks. Montana. Scott, you've, when you listen to the show, you're going to have to go on. Um, send me an email to joe at elkbros.com. 
And you well, are make sure you follow Western Fly Covers on Instagram. I ain't sending you nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Congrats, Scott. Congrats, man. That's awesome. All right, this top listening city is a commuter town west of Portland, Oregon. It was voted Portland's coolest <coughs> suburb by Thrillist Magazine. The native branch of the Talatan branch of the Kalapuya Indians inhabited the area until 1840. The name came from a grove of tree oak trees that now are part of the Pacific University campus, uh, campus Forest Grove, Oregon. Hey, who, who assigned? Did Joe assign that to me? No, no, no. I was like, how did that not get to Manano? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, look at that. That's what I get for not reading it earlier. <laughs> That's tough. Wow. Yes, sign all the difficult ones. Right. <laughs> that sounded like your magazine guy, man. Thrillist oh. magazine, bro. Thrillist? Yeah. yeah. I was like, what Actually, is it Thrillist or is it Thrillist and it's just not separated? Yeah, it's together. Thrillist magazine. Thrillist magazine. Let's see what Thrillist has in it. Dig it. We're unleashed, so I'm going to have to (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, well, I'm sorry, guy. It was Nudist magazine. Uh I ain't Googling that. (laughs) I don't want none of that. That'll bring up all kinds of stuff, baby. Oh, no. Guys, heading back to the Midwest, our next top listening city was established as a summer resort destination that involved, that evolved into a retirement community located in the north central Arkansas portion on the Missouri state line. The town has seven lakes within the city limits. Four are designated all sports lakes, while the other three are no wake and fishing lakes. All the lakes are private as only com- Community members and guests are permitted to use them in none other than Bella Vista, Arkansas. Bella Vista. Bella Vista. Really neat little town. I, I bet Gil, I, even though you're not supposed to be on one of those lakes, I bet Gil was in there sneaking. Yeah, I've never, <laughs> I fish, I never fished right there, but I've been through there. Yeah, yeah I, I, I spent a lot of time in Arkansas, really, so it's the last four years. <laughs> oh, state, up next. Man. Up next, this North Dakota city sits on the Minnesota border and is home to Greenway, a system of waterfront parks and trails. The area was formed by glaciers and is prone to constant flooring. It is one of the flattest regions in the world due to the glacier carving. Grand Park, glacier, glacier carving. Grand Park, North North Dakota. Dakota. North Dakota. Glacier. 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 Glacier, glacier, glacier. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay, this final city is known as the Christmas tree capital of the world. The Kirk Company of Tacoma, Washington, operates a 10,000-acre plantation of Christmas trees. In August of 1992, the town was struck by a half-mile-wide F3 tornado that killed two people, injured 30, and caused over $5 million in damages. Wow. And that's in Watoma, Wisconsin. Watoma, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Wow. Very cool, man. Well, Joe, you know, our main content that's coming up, our, our, you know, this is part four of our elk calling Gemini series in how to practice and improve uh, your elk calling skills, right? We're going to jump right in here in the middle um, with you. And, you know, you've been elk hunting now for over 40 seasons and, um, 
you know, hundreds of bulls under your belt. I don't know how many hundreds more you've called in for other people. And I mean, you've got a lot of experience and we've had some fantastic elk hunters and elk callers on, but I've never hunted with those guys. Uh, I've hunted with you the last 14 years. Uh, you're one of the most special people in my life, but one of the things that you do better than anybody is when you call, you finish brother. Right. And I don't think necessarily people understand that there is a difference between calling and finishing. Uh, what I want to know from you is how did you go from not being able to make a sound right early on in your career to, to what kind of discipline it took for you to use? Did you start out with? Uh, a single read or did you start out with a diaphragm call? I really want you to go back to your roots, man, and dive into that and tell us as a young man, you starting out elk hunting because you starting out elk hunting, it wasn't necessarily because you wanted to kill a bull. It's because you wanted to eat elk meat, man. I wanted to right? eat. And feed, yeah. feed your family. You know what I'm saying? So right. I want guys to understand that Joe wasn't Ooh. always just hunting horns. He was feeding his family, right? And it was super important for him to, to do that on his own. So, uh, Joe, what age did you start elk hunting? Uh, you're uh, 93 now, 19, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> 19 years old, dude. Yeah. Holy smokes, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we're what, 60 now? Yeah, 61 now. Yeah. There we go, 61. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so actually I think um uh it was probably I was 19 when I when I first came to Vegas over there. I was probably 20 the first year that I actually went out and I actually killed a cow elk my first year up in the Pecos wilderness up there and I I would have probably never done that except for guys in my bow hunting club. Um I was a really good shot and they were like, "Man, you know, have you gone elk hunting? Won't you tag along with us?" and you know, that, that was the first opportunity and, and they took me up there and, and messed me up for life, man. <laughs> <laughs> and the star was born. <laughs> yeah, it was, I, I, yeah, it's a, it's been a heck of a journey, but I, you know, from that first time, I mean, I had no clue what I was doing other than I had a hunting skill set, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I basically knew that, you know, critters were going to, if they were in their bed, which all animals do. All animals lay up in bed, man. And then all animals get up to go eat something. And I just knew that, you know, those critters that were in the area were going to come down to the best places in that, happened to be in that wilderness to be able to find feed. And I found, uh, a, like I said earlier, I found a trail that funneled through the bottom of the thick that funneled out into a, a real, not a huge meadow, but a nice little bench type meadow, um, towards the bottom had water in it. And I had already had a couple deer that come in there. I was like, man, if deer are using this, this is a good feed place. So I just sat up in the evening and waited. And sure enough, I had a cow elk came stepping out, man. It's just like I thought she would down that trail. I mean, uh, sure. People might say that that's kind of sloppy lucky, but I think you take your skill sets and you make deductions with what you have to be able to put yourself in position for things to happen, right? Yeah, and make your own luck. Yeah, you got to make your own luck. You just create it, right? If yeah. we're not out there, if we're not making the decisions, if we're not putting ourselves in positions, you know, yeah, an elk popped out there, but had I not done that, it would I wouldn't have been in the right place. And you know what was 
Yeah, I got my first cow elk there, but I, I think the thing that I was most proud of that, and this kind of shows a lesson that I tell people about persistence, about, um, you know, staying motivated, staying positive, and whatever hits us in life, we make lemonade out of lemons. Well, that cow elk walks out. I take one of my arrows, one of my old double X-75s. At that time, I had a satellite broadhead on there. They were the cheapest ones that you could find out of Walmart at the time. Uh, not the cheapest ones, probably the only ones you could find at Walmart at the time. <laughs> Single body, light aluminum. Um, but this cow walks out. I go to knock the arrow, and again, I shoot fingers instinctive. I shoot a compound um, at this time, for well, forever until the last two years, and and my my setup is real simple. I just had a on the side of the bow, you know, had one stick on arrow rest there, a little flipper rest, and I go to put my arrow on, and there's no arrow rest. It's done, been ripped off, right? So you know, uh, well, I've shot long bows, I've shot recurves that had shelves on it. So I just set my finger up there and drew a cross on my finger, just like it was the rest, and. You know, shot that cow, I think it was 35, 40 yards, and she didn't go in the trees another 20, and she healed up in there, and and that was the first one down. But when you ask about, like, how did I start with the sounds, I didn't, you know. But right. I never heard an elk make a sound on that hunt. Yeah. I never did, right? Yeah. And then my next year hunting, I was uh, hunting in an, in an area, um, and – that's when I first started hearing the elk, right? And that was the first time. I mean, when I got on that cow elk, the one thing that really hit me was her sweet smell, man. She just Jeez. had this sweet licorice type smell on her that was very distinct. And, you know, when I found then, you know, I had been finding urine that I didn't know, I mean, had that type of smell there. And I start putting together all these pieces and that, that next year that I'm hunting, I'm out there and I'm hearing these elk making these noises and stuff. And, you know, I, I read Outdoor Magazine and had Wayne Carlton in it and Larry D. Jones talking about, you know, them hunting elk and calling in elk. And, uh, we didn't have the internet at the time. You know, if you, if you didn't find it on a TV channel or know somebody, but I found somebody in our club that had a tape, a videotape that one of them guys had done and, uh, got a chance to hear that. And I was using, I was using Quaker Boy turkey calls to call turkeys. And, you know, these guys said they could do elk. So I just started just kind of like a kiki run. You know, you get that mm-hmm. that high pitch on there. And and what I started doing was in the woods, I'm listening to the elk, and I'm actually trying to just reproduce what those guys are doing. You know, I, I, think, I think the elk were my best teacher. So that that's where I started with it was, man. Uh, uh, so were you using turkey calls when you first started out to yeah, try to make absolutely. elk sounds? Yep, absolutely. I mean, it's a diaphragm call, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I could take that same diaphragm call. You know, I can take this elk one. Oh, yeah. I mean, and... Yeah. I mean... Yeah. We make all kinds of noises yeah. with that diaphragm, you know. And so I just, I was always playing with the diaphragm to do noises. I, one thing as a kid, I love noises like morning doves, you know, things like that, owls, yeah. 
that we do mm-hmm. you know, different things and you learn to mimic it. So that was my first thing was just mimicking. When did you feel pretty confident that, so you're starting off in your elk hunting career, you know, and right. so you started, you, like you said, you had a good hunting skill set. So that helped you kill your first elk. When did you start feeling like you were understanding the sounds the elk were making and you were able to duplicate that well and then start calling bulls in for yourself? Well, what's, what's funny about that, Gil, is that I, I, when I first started, I wasn't really my skill set that, that first year. So I'm like 21 after killing that cow and I'm up there hunting. My whole thing then was I, I connected the smell from the year before. Right. Sure. So the way I was getting into elk was I was walking crosswind through areas that I figured would be their bedding areas. Right. You Mm -hmm. know, again, the first time I waited for them in their feed to come from their bed. And I was like, man, I can't waste all day doing. I can't sit, dude. I just don't do good. No, he can't. No blind. Yeah. No. So I I start working through areas that and crosswind till I caught that wind and then I start hunting into the wind and as I did that I started hearing these noises man the first time I heard it I thought it was birds chirping and you know you hear that noise sound like bird chirping out there and I keep going following that scent and I get into it and, and man I see the butt of these cows on there and they're making these uh. bird chir- chirping noises and so mm-hmm. I just started imitating that and dude I started imitating that and they put their head up right they're looking <laughs> my way just like right that. In the room. Yeah. And they're yeah. like, hmm. And, you know, I started actually bringing cows to me before I started bringing bulls to me. And then I see the bull back on the backside there, you know. And it's like, okay, this will work. So I actually killed my first bull bringing in cows to me. That was right. the, the whole technique that I used. And, and what I found out then was, you know, as I start reading more articles and more things and being in the woods more and not just during September. Yeah. But me and Chad would go out there and we'd be playing in October, oh, November. We'd be playing, you know, oh, early in the summer in June, July and stuff like that and get out there playing with those cow calls. And I would have cows come into me off of just me doing that. I bring a herd into me just by acting, trying to mimic what that herd was doing. So I think I started doing scenario calling way before I even knew what I was doing. Right. Sure, sure. And, and most of it was, was cow based. And I tell you, man, by being able to sound like a group of cows, whether it's three, five, with a, with a calf with it, or then trying to mimic like a herd. Next thing I know, I got bulls coming into me to check it out, depending <laughs> on, you know, the, the time of year. And I'm like, man, this is cool. You know, this, this will work. Again, I didn't have like, uh, I've never been a, a, a rich person and we never, I mean, at that time, I don't even think there was like this. There was like cable TV started coming out after antenna, right? You know, and then if you had it, you could get some of these shows every now and then that would have stuff on there. But there just wasn't those resources. Our resource yeah. had to be the animals at that time. So yeah. I, I think sense. that's when I first found out. And every year mm-hmm. of that, I think my confidence in your question came when I had been doing this and I started mimicking the bulls too, right? And 
me and Chav were on a hunt in an area and did the same thing. I worked in, and I started to know the area I was hunting. It, we were getting tags every year. It wasn't hard. In fact, when we first started hunting elk, it wasn't a lottery. You could go and buy your elk, deer, bear, and wow. turkey for like 34 Stone tablets. $34. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> right? You remember that, RC? Good old days. Oh, yeah. Good old days. <laughs> yeah. So we would get, you know, we could have all the tags and go out there and hunt. And we'd hunt everything, man, and and try to fill up the freezer. But we're we're out there, and, and, and Chav and I are split up. We've gotten into a group of cows with a bull, and this bull is chuckling, you know. He's like doing this invitation chuckle, and so I start trying to mimic his chuckle. Every time he would do something, I would do it right back to him, and then he'd get pissed, and he'd do it back to me just like that. And we were just going back and forth like that and end up bringing him in. I shoot him at about 35 yards, and he goes and he takes off, and then I, me and Chav have a signal. We just kind of like uh, I do a crow call when I want him to come find me, and Chav does this funny little pick noise you know so i can identify where he's at and uh do it chap let's hear it yeah so yeah <laughs> there you go so i i would i would crow call him. make that sound too <laughs> i crow call him into me and i go dude did you see that bull and he's like what bull i was like you didn't hear that chuckling going on back and forth he's like I thought that was you the whole time. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Imitated perfectly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I think that's when Chav said that, I think that was the first time that I <laughs> realized that I had that knack for that realism, man. Chav, you got to ch- I know, I know you've hunted with him. You've been his, his confidant and best friend for over 40 seasons. So I'm sure to lead off this questioning, uh, you probably got a couple of good poignant questions to ask him. Well, uh, I know one thing for sure is you can give Joe any call, even uh, Luis's call that's you know all slobbery and stuff, <laughs> and he'll still make uh, he'll still make excellent calls. And you know, going back to that one story about the bull chuckling, to me it it, it sounded like Joe, and then he moved over a little bit more, and it was actually two different. Joe and a, and a bull, but he he was able to imitate it perfectly. And I know during uh, the course of all those years, uh, he's evolved and gotten better and better, and even come up with stuff that people never heard of. Um, but uh, you know he's an expert at it, really. But I know there's some listeners out there that want to know where do I start? You know how do I even pick a call? You know, what would you suggest to the beginner when they're when they're doing that? Because I know a lot of people that are listening are want some tips. Even people have been calling for a couple of years really don't know what they're doing. So, you know, what calls would you recommend to start off and perfect and then advance till you get better at Go it? to www.elkbros.com. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless. No, I think that's a, that's a great question. Uh I I think just like I my natural progression, you know, my natural progression was cow calls first. And I honestly believe that a, a person can go out with 
um, solid cow calling. And mm. if you look, if you can do a cow call, if if you can just make that noise, then you can make any cow sound there is. And that's what I try to tell people. You know, if I'm if I can make a cow call just like that, I can shorten it for a chirp. I can I can get that lost, I can do a regathering, I can add voice inflection. You know, get those demanding mews inside there. I can do just about anything. And really, if I can cow call, I can bugle. Because to me, to me, bugling is easier than cow calling. To me. Mm-hmm. It's just, but I think if you really work on taking that and, and start with, start with a single light latex, our, our sugar, our cow call, the sugar, is a single latex that is so easy out of the box. But I'm not even going to tell you to get this one. I'm going to tell you, go get a medium read from Native by Carlton. Go get one from Phelps. Go get one from, uh, gosh, who, oh. Our our grinder. Yeah, I mean. Our grinder's a good one. But but it's not a medium, right, is what I'm saying. And what I'm saying, medium frame. I'm talking medium frame. Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you know, whatever, and somebody else showed me another one the other day out there, but, um, <clears throat> you know, what we started out with was basically one that we had to tune, right? You know, yeah, Primos. Primos, mm-hmm. yeah, with that palette plate on it. And look, y'all, make sure it has a palette dome on it. I think it's going to make life so much easier for you when you do that. And And then look, I just was working with somebody the other day that... When I started doing the lesson with them, they finally realized that they had this in their mouth the wrong way. Backwards. <laughs> Upside down or what? Backwards. Yeah. Had it, had it backwards and yeah. had it, um, um, I think even like upside down wasn't even doing it right. And I had, I had another, well, last year we had one of our people that was actually biting on it and getting the latex between their lips on the front to make it so. Yeah, you're, you're just going to take that. The backwards, Gil. Do it backwards. Oh, do it backwards. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I don't okay. know. <laughs> Upside down, you know, I'm yeah. not sure. But Won't but make a sound. They weren't getting a sound. So th- what they were doing was they were like, I can't use a diaphragm call because I can't get a sound out of it. And then I started doing a lesson with them, you know, on putting it in and showing how that was. And just to do push, you know, I tell everybody. You want to get your tongue in the right position? Push, 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 push. It's going to lower that tip of that tongue. It's going to drop that tongue. And I love the, I love the O'Shea. This is what I call the O'Shea. The O'Shea. It's going to drop the tongue and it's going to put the middle of that tongue into that latex, right? So, uh, yeah, get started. Just make the sound. And then, you know, when you make that sound, you're just going to start working with that to try to get different tones with it. And tones come from <coughs> two different places. They come from... I think that's really important, Joe, because I have seen uh, bulls making crazy sounds, like pretty average sound, nothing like, you know, like 
any complicated bugle, mm, so no. pretty basic. So somebody that's able to do some decent cow call will be will be in, 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 in a decent shape. Another thing I see that young callers do with their diaphragms is they they want to try to put that diaphragm as far back as they can and right. that's that's never I want to I run that thing almost up to my eye teeth and then I start pushing it back to find the sweet spot cuz there'll be a sweet spot for that diaphragm in your mouth right and when you find it then you'll go oh well, this diaphragm you need to push a little further or, or you need to push a little back or you need a little more tongue pressure that just but when you're starting out with the real light latex, man, I like to push it forward and then just like Joe says, make the sound push, you know, <laughs> try to make it make any kind of cat sound you can make, man. Uh, that's important. And then learning how to drop off of the note. That's another thing, right? Well, and, and here's something else you can do, man. If you want to find out which one's going to fit in your mouth a little, because like I said, <laughs> I tell people to go to that medium frame because I know most likely to be able to do that. But I'm telling you, if you can, if you can start <sighs> with, and this is just like a turkey call, it's the same yes. kind of frame like that. Um, our sugar here fits. It's going to be a little bit lower. It's you're not going to be able to bring it as far forward because your palate's right. not going to let you. And you're going to get, you know, you're going to be able to get those sounds out. And if you are with that. You know, then you're going to be able to handle that latex. And I, I've taken little kids, little kids, and you, you've been with me, guy, when we were at um, MAF, um, mm-hmm. we were Mountain Archery Fest up there. People that had never called, kids that had come up, get our. At that time, we only had the grinder. Get that in there, and within ten minutes, right, we're we're putting stuff out, and kids are starting to really do a good job, and adults. You yeah. know, we just gave. I gave advice. my son, who's never blown a diaphragm call, even for a turkey. I gave it to him, and in 35 minutes, he was knocking my socks off with cow calls, man. Right. But, I mean, look, you just got to put time in behind the call, you know. Right. And the, the, the lighter latexes and the medium frames, Joe's right, they seem to fit everybody better starting out. Well, and even people that should have a wider frame in their mouth, they're going to be able to do that. But the problem, what happens with people that do that, they end up with that call higher and a little more forward because their palate allows that, but they can still make sounds with it and do that efficiently. But what That's I'm what makes the Wapiti River one so nice with the cuts, yeah. the slices, because it seals properly and everything. You know, and, and look, you can do that with any call. If you find right. that you're getting a crease, all you got to do is get scissors and notch it out. Right. Look, notch it out. If, if, if people try ours and they like it, that's great. But get what works for you. For you. That, that's that's right. one, and, and what you have confidence in. And I, I think that's the, the most important thing with that. So, but make sure it's single latex, that it's, that it's got a light, you know, uh, that it's an easy blower out of the box and, and work with that. And then once you get that and you get that feel for it, then you get a little bit thicker latex and you can then start learning how to get, you know, those other sounds with it because they are going to sound a little different. You know, when, oh, yeah. when, I, when I do, you know, my light sugar, Now listen to the grinder. I mean, it's got that little bit more mature, deeper tone. Voice, to it, right? Just a different voice. Yeah. Like a different a, animal. A little different latex. With yeah. It, right? yeah. 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 That's but, okay, fantastic. So, fantastic. Go ahead. Just, uh, 
as a follow-up question, uh, that was for the beginners. What about the guys who've been at it for a while? What are your go-to calls? Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Base Camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. I, I don't think it's so much calls as combining calls. I think that's the thing. I think it's painting the picture and being able to um, utilize your different call sets as you get more advanced to be able to make things happen for you. I think that is, I think that's the key then. I think early on, you just want to focus on what you're good at, right? Utilize your strengths and make things happen with that. Look, I've taken everything that I've done. The way I've faced um, calling elk is, and this is the way if I was to teach people is that I face it like a coach. I do tape and research, right? It's just like whenever we're going to go play a game, man. I get I get a tape on the opponent. I watch how they move, I watch <laughs> different things that they do. I learn their plays, and then I start to go off of that. Then I'm going to drill. Then I'm going to do drills from that. So if 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 I'm doing drills and then I'm I'm doing those cow calls, I'm doing those. I'm adding that voice inflection, and I'm doing those different. Ones. So I'm just basic. And then I want, <laughs> so I'm going to add the different things in with that, right? And try to play with it. even doing things like, 
closing my mouth a little. Now, a big mistake people make is when they're trying to learn to call or they're trying to make different tones, they often try to use their lips in a way to control those tones. There's the cat. There's the cat. There's the cat. Where's the kitty cat? And you, you can use your lips to hot, you know, to to make it a little lower sound, a little different. You can throw it to different sides like that. So I work on stuff like that. And, you know, I'm going to play and do those drills. I just want to do my basic drill, and then I'm adding voice. And then I want to play with length. And then I want to play with tone intensity. Let me tell you what. If you want to practice um, early morning cow call when, a, when something in, is in close, get in a quiet, silent room and cow call. Because yeah. most of the time we're someplace where there's a lot of noise and we just blow things out. And we think, you know, that that's the cow call we want. Not necessarily. Okay? So... So I do that. I go tape, I do drill, and then I start doing my plays and strategy. And that's when I start doing those different things like, okay, let's just take raking, for example. I watch bulls rake, and then I try to mimic. What are they using? Are they using their horns on the side of the tree? Are they using their their daggers on the front of the tree? Are they up there hitting inside the branches? I watch it, and I find a a raking scenario that I like, and I get that in my head. And then when I go out there, I envision that same thing when I'm doing it. Or if I hear another bull that is thrashing something, I will friggin' mimic that dude the way he's doing it, right? So and that's, I guess that's kind of the way that I would go for the more advanced guys. Yeah, and, and for the more advanced guys, man, Keep working with different calls, man. Keep working with the things that make you better, you know. Keep understanding the language. Don't stop. Get around as many elk herds as you can get around, man. It helped me so much being with these guys, being able to go get around elk and learn. I mean, watching a herd as I call uh, for hours, man. Watch how their behaviors are. Yeah, listening to them, right? That's how you become more advanced. Is yeah. listening to them and understanding the language. Well, that so goes being, back to what Joe said three or four times in terms of that mimicry, right? Yes. And, you know, people talk about, you know, well, you got to know the language. Mimicking isn't the thing. Well, to start off, yes, it is. You do as much mimicking as you can so you become so that you grasp the flow of the language and the different sounds. When you hear when you hear a, a, a bark at you to a chuckle. <coughs> You want to be able to reproduce that because when I have a bull that bark chuckles at me, I bark chuckle right back at that son of a gun, right? Sure. So, you know, keep listening, watch those videos, learn, keep practicing to reproduce what you're seeing there. All right. Yeah, for sure. Check out more elk hunting content and get the Base Camp Academy. These guys are. There's so much about calling in there. So, um, you know, Joe's one of the very best teachers I've ever been around. My style's a lot like his. We run and gun, and we we make a lot of noise when we're in the woods, when we're around elk, you know. R.C. Knox, I know you – this is a guy who has – who gave Joe his first guide job, right? So, at the end of the day, R.C. Knox has watched Joe Gillia transform – 
from a young man to a senior elk hunter and who's who's been around Joe for a very long time. So um, I'm going to turn it over to you, RC, and maybe you can bounce a couple questions off of Joe that uh, we've we've not thought of or not hit yet. Okay. Uh, I think we've already kind of hit it, but it was the old Joe. And I'm real curious, Joe, as to how you handle when you call in a hunter and uh, what you do. Do you move off or do you confront the hunter? And let's say you did move off and you called him in the second time. And so you moved off again. And I'll be doggone, you called him in the third time. What? <laughs> I, I, what is your strategy for being polite or, I mean, Mike, I guess my question is, is do you answer him back? Do you play with him? Do you? No, no. no I'm going to tell you the answer right away. He, <laughs> he, he started making turkey calls right away. I, you know, I've, I've done things like, you know, stuff like that, you know. Or yeah. a turkey call or just to let them know. And, and you know what? That doesn't bother the elk. Man, no, 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 that's right. That's right. Very right. If I really have somebody comes in and we're not in a situation, we got a bull working. I'm, I'm everybody's buddy. I go out there and I introduce myself, say hello. How's it going? You know, uh, how's it been going this morning? And a lot of friends that way. Yeah, yeah. a lot of friends like that. And Mm -hmm. not only that, man, you, you get some intel from it. Um, I guarantee if I called them in and they say, well, you know, what's going on and you know you got are you the only one here and i'm like no there's six of us out here well yeah. most of those people they, we gotta move <laughs> yeah, yeah. they hear there's six other hunters they usually move out of the country and 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 More i got news for you friends. if you if you call them in twice except for my buddies i got a lot of dudes that that hunt in the same country that i do you know and if they see me in there they ain't going too far <laughs> so. yeah they're gonna hang around <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because pretty soon he's going to call something in pretty close, pretty yeah. close to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. but no, I I I try to always be congenial out there. You can get some recon from other people. Um, you can actually sometimes help them out if they're having difficulties. I yep. mean, uh, I, we've even done things where we've helped people be more successful out there. So. I've been with Joe. We called a set of, we called a hunter and his son in, had a, a very nice conversation. We hadn't gone 150 yards. We hit another little call and about four bulls tried to run us over. We literally had that guy walked out of sight. We walked 150 yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here are these dumb batch of group of bulls tried to run us over. And he had just come through that area. Yeah, it it doesn't bother me to be to have other hunters in the area. I've run into hunters and said, how, you know, how's it going? They said, well, they're not talking. I haven't heard a bull all day, and I just came from over top of the ridge where we just had a rut fest. And yeah. I mean, like Gil says, we bumped into hunters, gone off of them, and didn't go 100, 150 yards, and end up calling in an elk. I I really don't worry about hunters in the woods. I the other thing I'll try to do is I'll try to use more lower vocaliz- vocalizations. You know, so I'm not calling those guys in unless we're doing something where we're doing our own, um, you know, we're trying to 
do our own party to bring things yeah. something into us. Like if it's that time of year when things are screaming, they're converging, let's say they're staying over on private property and you feel like, man, I wish I could go over there. Well, man, make it so they wish they could come over <laughs> come here. Come over here. Yeah. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. So, there you go. So yeah. we'll do things like sure. that. To, and it might not bring that herd bull, but there's some satellites that might think, hey, there's some lower hanging fruit. And then from yeah. that, then that's when those, some of those plays and strategies come in hand, right? Like yeah. if, if I'm playing like a herd that's moving off and I have a bull that's coming into me, how do I get that bull to really commit or to come in the way he should, not be intimidated? Well, I do, you know, I call it my cow pickle. I'll go right back at him with a lost cow, you know, away from the herd that's been going the other way. And now he's like, wow, man, I can pick Come me on, up mom. one, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's different things that we can use like that. So that's uh, that's some of the things that I do. Okay. Awesome. The other question I had is uh, there's three of us, okay, uh-huh. and we're out. And all of a sudden we've got a bull that, that's answered us, right? So we split up. We got the collar on that takes the center and pulls out and trying to pull him between the two, the, the two shooters, right? Right. So now I guess what I get a question is, is how do you get RC up there? He's one of the shooters and all of a sudden, he gets his call out and he goes, <laughs> <laughs> it happened, going to choke the hell and, out of RC. You know, and you're going, uh, uh, we're not going to get this bull. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how do you politely tell RC manage it? To shut up. He would throw a rock. <laughs> you throw a rock at you? Yeah. I wondered what he would do. Yeah, okay. Or would he shoot at you with an arrow? <laughs> so let's take this the back, to, back to how to practice. If we're trying to teach people how to practice on this, right, the right. first thing is is you got to know your role. And if you're if you're up front, if we're doing a flying V, and I think that's what you were referring to, right. RC. Exactly. Where, so mm-hmm. – you know, we, it's just the opposite. So when we're doing a flying V, we've got, we've got two shooters out front and we got a caller in the back. Now it can be a power eye formation where we're going up directly with the, with the shooter and then we're going to the downside win with our second shooter. That's, that's two of the setups. And, and look y'all, if you want to practice, you need to practice those types of things. You know, you need to tell them, okay, if we're doing the power eye, if we're doing that right there, as soon as they see that, they know one person's going forward, the other one's going up and to the side, and they're getting in position right. And I see them get in position, and we practice this. We practice this out there. And a lot of times mm-hmm. early on, we didn't practice it, and we learned from our mistakes, right? Yeah. So um, what I'm trying to tell people is you can actually practice doing your setups and doing the calls. Now, here's the thing. Know your role. If you're up there as a shooter, you are a shooter. You are not a not caller. Calling. The only time you're going to call is for stopping an animal on a shot or if you see that you got to be aggressive and make a move and move forward, then you're going to let me know that you're moving forward by giving me three cow calls. Now, by you doing three cow calls, now you've reestablished where those elk are, but you're moving forward after that, and I move forward, and, and I'm able to now recommit 
or reconvene what we were doing and try to pull that bull in. And I know you're moving up for a reason. Either you've seen or heard or something like that, and you're getting in a better position. So I'm definitely watching what my shooter's doing. And now my other person, if we're two on there and there's the other person on the side sees that, that shooter moving up, he might now, because that shooter's moved up, now become an additional caller back there as well, depending on what's happening. And we'll give signals to each other. We develop hand signals so we can communicate if we're not able. Like a big one, man, is when my shooter turns back and my shooter tells me I've got eyes yeah, on, right? Good. And then he tells me, cow call, all right? Yeah. He, he can see what is affecting that animal and tell me what I need to give as part of the formula, right? <coughs> Tells me, and he does this to me, I know that I need to bugle, right? And and I am actually going to be bugling away, so I actually sound further back, all right, than what I am. So these just little key things. Now, what we're talking about is y'all y'all have heard three great callers already, and three great instructors that talks about the different things that they do, that they practice. The things that I practice are more situational based and creating more of an environment. Yes, do I practice a cow call? Well, you've already learned how to do that, but let me take you a step forward on that, even if you're a beginner. If this is your first time out there and now you're able to get out there, I never do. If, I, if I'm moving through the woods and we had that question earlier, I'm never doing just a single cow call, right? If I'm moving through, I'm sounding like. I'm doing different ones. And usually my rhythm is. You know, I get like three different things in there, little chirp. Or I'll get I'll get that calf cow type thing going on as I'm moving. And most of the time I'm doing it with my tube. And I'll show you this is how you practice this. Watch. I do situational stuff through the tube to the side and I practice it. Let me tell you another thing that you got to practice. If you are using and I believe in calling behind me, right? The reason I'm doing that is because I'm and Gil talked about closing. I think I close better because I get less animals to hang up because I'm throwing calls behind me. Yeah, they're in tight. Yeah. yeah I'm trying they come to come in tight. Them. They come in tight. Number one, the area you hunt. Number two, you're throwing calls behind you so they feel like the animals are further behind you, so they're going yep. to come in tighter. But you got to practice that, dude. I mean, Definitely. you really honestly got to get. And the nice thing about this is, is when I'm calling, I've got that animal in front of me, and I got eyes on them, and I see them. Maybe they heard another bull to the side, or they didn't peg me exactly. They knew when the area I'm in, but they didn't peg my position. Start coming in, they start sauntering off to the side. Well, I'm going to turn my bugle. And throw it in another direction, right? But now, if that bull's coming, and you practice this on the range, you practice having this in position, making a call, having that diaphragm in your mouth, pushing that tube down, drawing back and making your shot. I mean, that's what I mean by situational. You got to take 
Definitely. Don't want the first time you use a tube and get it out of the way to be when you're on an actual animal. You want to practice that ahead of time. That's the juice. Definitely. The practice, the preparation, right? And being, being proactive in your practice and understanding that things are going to get chaotic when you're in that scenario and you better have some things figured out and practiced that beforehand. And that's a lot of people ain't understanding that joke because they've never heard it. So this is really good stuff. So that's kind of a, my 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 question, Joe, uh-huh. because we, we we take for granted the people uh, already know how to call, and I would love to hear you like uh, go to uh, step by step or really basic stuff. How you uh, uh, do the, uh, the 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 accommodation in your mouth with the with the uh, with the diaphragm in your tongue, like so basic basic stuff. Basic as basic as you can get. You're going to take that diaphragm, you're going to get it and push it up into the roof of your mouth, okay? And not involve the lips. What I want to do is I just want to do things with my jaw. Uh, yeah, you like drop that. the jaw. I drop, and I talk about jaw drop all the time. And all that's doing is controlling my tongue pressure for me, in which later on I don't have to drop my jaw because I learned how to control my tongue pressure. So all I want to do is basically get it in. They push, push. And when I get that push, push. And what I want you to do is play with the diaphragm. All right? So what I mean by play with the diaphragm is this. Push. I'm pushing with my stomach. All right? What's that? <laughs> What's wrong? Blew, blew my ear. You blew my eardrums out. <laughs> that son of a bitch got loud, man. I'm oh, sorry, dude. It's all good. Stuff, no, man. it's all good. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so I'm 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 learning that I push from down, diaphragm. not from, from the lungs. From the diaphragm. That's right. real important to learn because there's some of those calls that if I'm doing just a little quick chirp. I'm just doing it just real hard and quick with the stomach. Or I just push. Right? So most basic is get it up there and say push. All right? And now, once I get that tone, push. Now I'm going to drop the jaw. Yeah. All right? I just want to get that. No matter which diaphragm I put in, push. And I'm just dropping the jaw. And I'm not going to go, I don't want to go like that. Right. I want to just relax the jaw and let it go down. And you'll learn to get that that flow. And don't worry. I see some people, they want to meet, they want to pound on this like, <laughs> they want to do this real yeah. hard pressure thing. Shrill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, just. <laughs> that's a more mature. Easy pieces. Yeah. So you get used to doing that, just that. <laughs> like you're slipping a boat into the water, man. Just yeah. like nice and relaxed when you do it. Not like you're jumping oh, off a cliff. 
<laughs> You're not jumping off the cliff. <laughs> Dropping the jaw. And then, once you get that and you understand that, then you know to do the tongue. You don't need that much hard jaw drop. Yeah. drop. That is the most basic thing that I can tell people. Don't involve the lips. Don't get too hard with the pressure right away. Say that push, drop the jaw. Would you would you encourage people that as they are you know learning how to make uh, decent cow calls? Uh-huh. Uh This they you know they they would start trying to practice the uh, the, um, the bugle right away. So or you or would you? Like, okay, first of all, learn how to make cow calls and then jump to the to the next step. Yeah, you, you know, for me, uh, I think, honestly, I think one is they're yin and yang of each other. Uh, a cow call is nothing but a bugle in reverse. So what I try to tell people is, is, you know, once you're making those sounds, remember that the distance the distance from your tongue to that latex is what causes that deeper vibration or that 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 higher vibration as you push forward. So what you want to do is, I really think if you want to do a bugle, just start out with that tongue away from it and then add that pressure and push, roll that tongue forward a little bit right on it. So you get, as I push, and I, I feel like I can almost do it just by it, just think about flexing a muscle like you're flexing yeah. your tongue just a little bit. So as I get that sound coming out, I'll try not to blow you out again here, but I'm <coughs> I got you. Thank good. you for the warning. If as I'm doing, and and I'll show you. I'm pushing from here. Yeah. Now, and, and you're like, well, that doesn't sound much like a bugle. The grunt tube. You hear That's it? the difference. That, right? Mm -hmm. And, and the other stuff comes into it, man. And I tell you, you don't have to sound like a big bull. You don't have to just, just learn to get that sound going. Right. Yep. I think that's one of the difficulties, right, is diaphragmatic breathing. And, and most people, because that's a, a unconscious thing, right, we're not used to it. So they immediately go to their lungs um, right. when when they're doing it. So I think what you're saying is really paying attention to it, you know. And you'll see guys that stage call a lot, and they'll they'll actually uh, rest their, their hand on their diaphragm to pay attention to it, you know, as they're getting ready to get up on stage. Yeah. So you have to be really, really conscious of, of breathing with that diaphragm, uh, because it's not something that we, that we do consciously, um, on demand. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I'm going to, let me turn this. Well, and the help come from their what, diaphragm anyway. What, you know, one thing I tell people to do to learn to go from your <clears throat> diaphragm is to huff from your diaphragm. Yeah. So <laughs> just keep your mouth open and <laughs> Push air almost like you're trying to, you have something stuck in your throat and you're trying to get it off, you know. Um, whenever you're going from your lungs, it's like, 
it's there's there's no depth to it when you when you feel and it's almost like you feel your stomach breathe in and let your stomach go out big you know and then you can push more from that stomach and compress it down to get those sounds right that's how you get that that diaphragm feel in there and then when you do that you just make the sound And you kind of make that siren noise, you know? Yeah. So, push them with that diaphragm each time. Just like somebody's hitting you in the stomach, okay? Yeah. And you get that diaphragm control there. Does that help out, guys, man? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Yo, that's, so, everybody we've had on, Joe, has, you know, they're world champion elk callers. But right. the juice that's... is in learning how to practice, right? right? And so this is how you practice, right? This is how you've learned how to call and become, you know, an expert caller. I, I've hunted, I've hunted around a lot of guys that have, that are, that are, um, that's that's good nice. elk hunters, but they're, the calling oh. is, is what really holds them back. And, and I'm not saying you got to be perfect, but you got to oh. understand the scenario and the basis of calling. And right? even when you're doing practice and you're doing practice things like diaphragm and trying to do some of these changes, you're going to have some things that squeal, man. I have yeah. to do it all the time. Yeah. I, you, it's, it's practice. And then mm. when you get there and you start getting that better control and rhythm that, yep. and don't worry about risking sounding like I love doing these kinds of. I love that. That's I call it little S mew that they yeah. do, like yeah. that little demanding, and I can actually add some voice to that. And sure. it's, it's kind of, you know, that's more of that more demand and stuff. Like I love doing and playing with things and, and listening to them doing the different. And that's way deeper than most people would do it. There's going most people would be in that range. Play with the different levels. Play with the different lengths. Play with the different tones, different age classes. Because, you know, your daughter does not sound like your wife. They have a different voice as they mature, sure. right? Sure. So play with that stuff. Enjoy playing with it and risk sounding like other people and go, well, what is that? Well, that's a friggin' elk, buddy. That's what it is, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Enjoy doing that, you know? Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. People ask me too, which are you, are you worried about messing up out there in the woods? Well, look, let me tell you something. It used to be, I would throw a call in, especially the primos early on, if it wasn't tuned right, you know, uh, with the pallet plate, 
sometimes a, a bad call would squeak out. I never end with a bad call. If I have one that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow it right up. If I get one that sound, if if you just do, if you have one that squeaks out, follow it up right away with a better one. It will sound yeah. better because you'll have. It's kind of like when you take a shot with the bow. <laughs> first shot's a little low. You know yeah. the next one's going to be need to fix it a little bit. Same thing with tongue pressure in your calls. So if you put out a bad call, then follow it right away. Now, I, I want to hit some other things that you want to practice with, okay? I want to practice kneeling, draw, get on target, and cow call, or grunt, and then taking my shot, all right? The other day, I talked to some of the guys about this, and, and we had a huge conversation on it because I had a guy that shot a shot without worrying about a diaphragm. Then he drew back and had to consciously think about now making a call, and his arrow spread on him because he did not stay within his shot because just having to make that call got him distracted. Took it his took focus. out of his process, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I really think that's critical. If you're going to practice your calling and you got to, Gil talked about me closing. Yes, I can call, but I close. And that's because I work those types of things, man. I get back there. I get on my knees because I hunt a lot from my knees. I me draw too. back. I'm on target. Yeah, pop. And, and it's almost, uh, I have, follow Joel Turner on Instagram and he's always talking about the process to people and he has something where it's like I don't know he says like ready set or ready you know and to me when I pull back and I'm on that animal as soon as I go yeah that's my ready <laughs> yeah, I'm, man. I'm getting ready to it. Pop. Yeah. yeah you know I hunted with you a few years ago in 2019 and we dove off a ridge and had multiple bulls sounding off, had Manano on my shoulder uh, with the a, a camera work for sure. And you said, run down there and kill that bull. So I took off running down the hill, right? But <clears throat> Joe's behind me pulling that bull. When the bull comes up, I got to be the one to stop him in the zone, right? Joe can see him a little bit, but not like I can see him. Right. He's around 60 yards away, 57, something like that. I see the bull clearing the trees. I'm like, oh, I'm killing him right here. When I drew, I had to, yeah, that was it. And he stopped. He was like, Man, where in the hell was that cow at, right? As soon as he stopped, it was – I mean, as soon as I pulled back, yeah, poof. That was quick. I mean, gone, dude. That was But it is, it is how Joe finishes. I've been with him. He's taught us that, right? These are – this juice right here, R.C. Knox was with me when I finished – off of a cow call to get that bull stopped. The bull's leaving, right? We stop him with the cow call. He's at, you know, 50 some odd yards. Poof. We send it. The finish is, is well in the calling scenario as in just the calling, right? Yeah, I, so I, I really think that's what separates out a lot of times. I think there's a lot of people get in closers, but they don't know how to finish. And, and sure. by calling, is a big part of that, but being able to integrate my calling into what I'm doing without losing focus or utilizing it as part of the focus is, I think, what helps on that. 
What was what was hilarious in that scenario is Joe is such a great caller, and he's so locked in on that bull. There's actually another bull to our left, but Joe is so locked in on that bull. When I shoot him, he doesn't even – he's not even excited. He comes walking down from above me like, what happened? <laughs> you know, he's like, uh, you know, what's going on? I'm like, he's down over there. Oh, wow. Okay. He's like, really cool, dude. You know, he's like, Oh my gosh. I was so, he was so locked in the scenario that he didn't even notice that I sent one. Right. And Manano's like, Oh yeah, mother. You know, he, you at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it was joke again, man, guys. He's so locked into the calling scenario. And look, we weren't done. There was another bull right there for us to go get. So oh, yeah. Joe's like, okay, next, next, right? Again, it's part of that learning how to call, learning how to finish. You know, I killed the largest bull I'd ever called, and I probably called in another six or seven bulls. I called another one in for Chav, right? And we had some mix-ups. But, you man, once you guys knock one out and here they come, you just keep right on rolling, you know. There's Joe. <laughs> Look at Joe. I didn't play the – I didn't have the audio. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't play the audio. Oh, That's so that cool, dude. That was so You're never going to live that down, brother. I, know, <laughs> I, I forgot Manano. about it until you said that. Play that was so cool. Yeah. It was hilarious. Man, Manano was, I mean, that was such a cool yeah. hunt. I, I was I was being Manano. Definitely. <laughs> no, we just couldn't. We couldn't use it on our video. I mean, it was. Well, you, time, it was awesome. We, hey, from you time can to time, now, we should have already, some unleash. You can. You can now. You can now. It's already been exposed, and it wasn't Manano. It was you. So you can't right. get worse. You might as well release the video. Together, right. I'll put it on my YouTube, and you know. Oh yeah. Well, I, Joe, I know guys itching to ask this I, last question, man. We're going. We're going to lead him right into it. So I got I got a few questions for you, and I want to touch on some things and get some finer points. But I really want to rewind to that first to that first elk hunt. Um, you know, you, you talked about not using the call, but I got to imagine that unga bunga was part of the language that the elk were talking. But so we can learn more about that hunt, can you give us the pin drop to the cave where you put the hieroglyphs? <laughs> That teed up, baby. Oh, look, he's pulling it out. Number one. Oh, man. Number one. Boy, we teed that up, boy. I've been waiting since you said it, brother. Me and Gil have been texting back and forth. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, dude. Guys, y'all got to know how much we love this dude, man. And he's not, I'm telling you, he's in pain right now and he's enduring this for all of you. It's been amazing juice. That's for sure. Guy, I know you probably got something else. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me hit him real quick and then we'll wrap her. Um, so Joe, one of your, one of your success points, right? Of the, of the many and, you know, just from watching the woods last (laughs) year is, is you hold to what you know, right? And you're not looking for variants or anything like that. And I feel like that that's part of, you know, call it the struggle nowadays, if you will, uh, is that we're always looking for the next best thing. Oh, right. it didn't work here, but let me keep moving on. And we don't find what works for us. So how big has that been for you in your, in your elk hunting career where it's like, Hey, this is Joe Gillia and I'm sticking to Joe Gillia and I'm running this scenario period point blank. Yeah. You know, um, and, and it's probably, I think my best thing 
is that I adapt to every time. I, it's, you Each know, one year to the next, it can be a different thing that pushes the button. And once you start figuring out what pushes a bull's button, you know, uh, then that's what you're going to tap on, man. It's the same thing. You know, it, I was in a football game coaching one time and we just kept running off the right tackle, you know, to score. And I had coach said, well, coach, when are we going to stop running off right tackle? And I'm like, when we stop scoring. Right, it's like us playing playing def- playing offense when they can't field the bunt. Guess what's coming? They we're just going to keep bunting you until you can field it, babe. You know. So I I think I think the thing is is you just keep staying within the things that you have. Have the tools in your toolbox. And you don't have to overthink it, overcomplicate it. Like, you know, I heard Gil say, I've heard you say, you know, when you, when you are communicating with that animal, you don't always see them all the time, but when you do see them, you can see how they're responding to that. You can also see how they're responding by how they, um, the sounds they make and their emotion that they do. You know, if, if I'm out there and I do a cow call, or I do a single, a single call out there, and, and I'll call it uh, a bull mew or a cow mew, depending on that. And I get a mew back, right? Well, I'm really not changing anything because early season I've had bulls just mew back to me, and I just give them that same flat. It's a little bit flatter mew. It doesn't drop off like what a a cow mew does. It's a little bit flatter, and I've just given that, especially through the tube, and I've had three bulls walk into me that all they ever did was mew. So I gave, I, I just stayed with that. You know, if I get out there and I give a cow call, and this bull invites me with a, you know, just like that. Well, I'm not going to scream at him because I gave a cow call and he gave me a, a chuckle back. No, if anything, if he responded to that cow call, I'm just going to give him that call, cow call again. He's inviting me. So I'm going to start heading that way, making a little bit of noise, maybe rolling a little bit of rocks. And then if he if he doesn't come into me, I might introduce another bull. I might do something to make him think that there's something of more interest over there because now he wants me to come to him. He's inviting to me, and he's going to wonder, why in the heck am I not going to him, right? So what I've got to do is I have to tell the rest of the story. I'm not coming to you because there's another bull with me here, and this is the person I'm with. I'm dancing with this guy. So, And I don't have to make it sound like a big bull. I can do the same thing he did, man. I can just make some of them huffs, grunts, a little bit of chuckle in there, and we're good as gold. We're going to then see what happens with it. We're going to let it marinate. And and that's the other thing, too, is don't be so quick to change everything, you know. Sometimes you just got to be a little bit more patient and let it play out, right? Yeah. So, okay, so that kind of parlays into the next one, right? And you, you've made the statement um, on a couple of these uh, Geminar. This one's called the Germanar um, about you know, being, being a, um, an aggressive elk hunter, right? right. What, why don't you elaborate on that and give us a little bit of that, right? Because I, I think that could be uh, um, 
there can be a little bit of a perception there that it's like, you know, bomb in. And we know that's not, not the scenario. So if you get a lot sometimes of it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, but I, I want I want the yeah. folks to hear, yeah. you know, where where Joe's it's, it's at. It's like with that anything. Impression. Sometimes you got to know when sometimes you got to know when to speed up and slow down. You know what I mean? And yeah, hurry up and slow down. Yep. Yeah, hurry up to slow down. Sometimes I mean it's like okay, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this move right here, but I and read your terrain. You know, if I'm in a situation like I, I'll just give you one of my things that I do because I have it right here with the computer. Like if I have terrain that's on a hill and I'm coming up to it and I'm staying real low, I'm actually as I start to get to it, I slow down. And I periscope because I'm going to see a little bit different. So I'm, I'm actually head at, at that level where it's cutting right there. And I kind of periscope up a little bit just to see what's happening down in there. I've slowed down because I might have an animal coming down, coming to me from there that hasn't seen anything and knows he shouldn't see anything. So he's making a move. If I don't see anything there and I still have you know, terrain down below that, I do the same thing. I drop down, I get a little forward, and I periscope up. I haven't made a call, but I'm checking my terrain. Now, if I'm in a position where it has changed and now there's a drop-off that's giving me a little bit open, and I had a bull that was responding, at that point, now I'm in a good location because I have, if you can imagine it, I'm here, this country's coming like this, and it drops down. And that's within 30 or 40 yards because I've worked to that point. Now I might throw a call back behind me because I could have a bull that is now going to start to come up because he's not able to see me and be in my shooting, effective shooting range. So you got to play the terrain. I can do it with the vegetation as well, right? So sometimes if I'm really covered and I know that I can get up there and find new shooting lanes, I'm hurrying up to do it. Right. And I'm getting in that position. Or if I have a bull that he's staying sounding off 200 yards away and he's sounding off from one place, I'm not going to stay back here and try playing a game with them. I'm cutting the distance and I'm going to get in and see what that terrain is going to let me do to get in on him. And I can do it now without making a noise because he's constantly sounding off. Right. If a bull is sounding off and coming to you, that's the easy when they're doing that, that's the easy because they are coming and they're communicating just with the engagement. It's when they're not doing that that you have to have those other things. That's where you have to create those those strategies, those plays to do other elk things to attract them to you. I practice both of those. I want to know how to deal with a bull that's directly engaged, and I want to know how to deal with a bull that is not directly engaged with me, that I'm trying to pull in because I'm making him think that I'm another group of cows, or I'm another group of bulls, or I'm a bull with a hot cow, right? Or I'm a stud bull with a bunch of cows. I mean, I want to be able to do these. Or I'm a lost cow or a lost calf. I want to be able to play those things to change my situation. And then once I get them there, I'm going to use my calls along with everything else I'm doing to be able to finish if I, if need be in the right way. Okay. <laughs> so last and, and uh, definitely not least, and it's almost shameless. And I know you said it before, but because we're talking to you. So one of your approaches, I mean, this is a, your standard, you know, tight bat tube. That's your standard tight bat tube. But then you look at, you know, you look at the soloist. Um, what What's the difference there, right? Why, why are we, you know, reinventing the wheel on the soloist 
<laughs> and and go in that direction. Why did you decide to do that? So um, hats off to um, Mr. Wayne Carlton, who whose tube mega tube I used for years um, out there. Uh, and the reason I did was, anytime you call towards an animal, they know where you're at. Yeah. Then they think you're that much closer to them especially with a loud volume tube. Now, you don't have to do that. You can take that tube, a large bat, and you can blow back behind you, right? It's all great until, again, the issue comes to the closing. And Gil talks about my closing. And that's when that bull, all of a sudden, now that bull's at that 80-yard mark, and he's looking because he knows he should see a cow in that area. Well, once you're in visual space of that bull, you're stuck because you're not able to take that bat. Now, if you're partner calling, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying, okay? But that's why I call this the soloist. Because if I'm by myself, I'm not able to pick up that bat and make that movement to throw a call back behind me. And if I make that call with my mouth, I am pegged right there because I'm calling right at that bull. And that bull's going to look right at me and expect to see a cow, and if he doesn't, he's done. He's out of there. So the difference is I have this so that now it's back behind me, and I'm throwing calls even looking straight at my animal. I don't lose eyes on him, and I'm throwing my calls back behind me to bounce off the trees. So now I'm 40 yards, 30 yards, 50 yards, wherever it's bouncing off those trees behind me. So if this bull is going to hang up 80 yards minus 40 yards, I now have a 40-yard shot. You follow me? Mm -hmm. So uh, this has become, this was critical for me. The reason that we reinvented it was we all know that you know, the old ones with the inch and a half mouth have zero back pressure, right? So what I tried to do was I tried to create and and hybrid the old school technology with the new school, you know, with the baffling that happens in here restricts down so that I get better back pressure uh, and I still get some reverberation that happens with my sound chamber. So we're trying to just take what was an old school idea and bring it a little bit more new age to help us with our calling, but then, you know, make it into what we need to be able to kill elk. Calling is one thing. Finishing is another. You have to practice how to finish. And if there's anything that I could tell people on how to practice for this is do everything that you would do in an actual situation before you get there. So that means that you're going to be in a setup position. That means that you're going to call behind you with this right here. And then you're going to get it out of your way. And this is all on your range, man. If, if you want to give yourself, if you want to shoot more arrows during your practice and make them more efficient, then put on your grunt tube, go out there, and you get a chance to practice your call. Give your cow call, give your little chuckle, whatever you want. With eyes on the target, push it down, get on your release, draw back on target, yeah, stop that bull and pop. Okay? That's the process right there. Get used to that process. 
if you if you're not used to that process, trust me, it's going to change what happens when you actually are in that situation. Practice finishing. Know what it feels like when you get there. All right. Every football team has a two-minute drill. Every basketball team has a three seconds on the clock to be able to score and win. They do win because they know what it looks like when they get in that situation. All right? Yeah, I mean, Thanks, brother. they know how to close. Yeah. <clears throat> but getting to that closing point is so important. Learning how to call, then once you get inside them, and you get them inside there, you got to learn how to finish. But I don't think we ever get evolve out of that finishing because the call usually stops to finish, right? Usually going to make the animal stop, right? Um, I, I, if I sometimes could, you don't have any, to. Sometimes right. You sometimes have. you don't. Sometimes they walk in and they read the script and they stop, right? Uh, elk are move, moving animals, man. They're constantly scanning and they will stop and scan. But a lot of times it's not where we want them to be. So as they're walk, and if I could give any advice, man, don't shoot a bull that's walking or trotting or something Un- like unless that. Unless he's 10 yards and he's in, and, and, <coughs> you know, the yeah. distance is the thing. So if yeah, I have a bull at 10 yards, 8 yards walking by me, I'm able to be on that bull. And, I mean, sure. it's going to be in that spot in in, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Whereas yeah, now but if he's 35 bull, or 40 yards. Right. Yeah. And it's at yeah. 30 yards. That's a totally different thing. And look, yeah. look, y'all, y'all could be dropping dimes at 80 yards and you could yeah. be totally confident in that. But what can happen between that blow being shot, released and hitting that animal is if he takes one step, it's a whole different. It becomes I mean, what's right. what's that gate, right? I mean, that's, 18 a, that's to 20 a, inches, right? You know, you're talking, you know one or two steps, you're four to five foot removed from where you release the arrow. Yeah. 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 I mean, the bullet I shot in Colorado, when I released it, he, he pivoted. I mean, you can watch the arrow hit him. It's just a tad high, but he pivoted. So when he pivoted, you know, it, it, luckily we had it in the right miss a small miss small. It was in the right area and it took care of him, but the, but the bull was 80 moved, yards. Yeah, exactly. It would have took it even longer and he would have moved even more, you know? So yeah, no, I mean, these, these animals aren't static a lot of times. It's not a, it's a dynamic environment that we're learning how to be successful in. <clears throat> this infer, does anybody else got a question for Joe, um, that they have not had answered? You know, I, I, I hope guys that, uh, it, it's, it's kind of funny to be doing it this way, but, uh, you know, I, I think what I wanted to add to the picture is is a different kind of practice, a, a practice for um, success, not only just practicing the calling, but integrating your calling in a way that you're going to succeed, both in the calling aspect of it and the finishing aspect on it and preparing to be able to do those things. Yeah, and we're not D, we're not diehard DIY guys. We hunt as a group, right? Uh, very often we're going to have two of our guys or more in a group. Our coached hunts will be with somebody that's a caller, a coach that'll be with somebody. So a lot of times our scenarios are different, right? Our scenarios are different than a guy that's DIY. You know, 
you know, guy spends a lot of time on the mountain by himself. I think he's figured out it's kind of boring. But at the end of the day, <laughs> when he comes to our elk camp, for sure, it, that it, he, I tell you, it ain't boring. He don't eat. He don't eat as good as when That's he comes damn to our straight. elk camp. <laughs> damn uh, but at the end, of, at the end of the day, I love hunting with guys that I can call with. You know, I got to spend a lot of time with Guy last year. Uh, we we hunted a lot of the same areas and stuff. He's a very good elk caller. Um, I mean, the guy knows the sounds, knows all of those other things, and it's it's up to us to help our coach guys finish. You know, and, and, but for us to do that, we have to coach them into that finish. We have to coach them into understanding how to get that done. Even with us calling for them or them calling for themselves, we still have to use our calls to help them finish. You know, Joe used his calls to kill his bull. I had to coax that bull back three times for Tom, right? Tom, his skill set is he can make a few sounds, but it's not like that advanced level calling where I can bring that bull back several times, you know, and then convince him finally that there's something over there he's got to see, you know. So calling is, um, I think it's the the most important thing that we've got to learn. It it is the most important. And and if I can stress anything is the guys that aren't working at it are given a head start or given the elk a head start. So, yeah. uh, it, it is the total game changer. Integrate it in with um, your ability to finish and understand, you know, what you need to do there at the end. And, man, I'm telling you, success rates are going to soar. So, Joe, with knowing what you know now, the technology that's out here, right, everything at your fingertips, if you were a brand-new elk hunter starting today, how would you start out? You mean by equipment or? yes. Yeah, no one, with all of the stuff that's out there, what would you do to start my elk calling? Let's say you're brand new at this, but now you've got all of this. You know, there's the internet, YouTube, elk nut. I mean, all of these things. Where would you start first? Where would you integrate all of that and start first with for a new caller? Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. So if I have the internet, I'm going to go, I'm going to get every app. I'm going to get every course. Um, I'm going to go to places that people are going to be able to show me, teach me. I'm going to do what I'm doing right now with podcasts. It's all about the knowledge, man. You can, if you are brand new this year, you can kill elk in your first year. We coached guys in hunt wars for two months and with known killers on that team from different places. It was the guys that were at ground zero. Ground zero, had never called, had never hunted big game with a bow, had never hunted elk before, ground zero, and they won hunt wars because they practiced, learned, followed the playbook, and learned how to do what we do and to be able to finish. So, man, it's all about the knowledge. So dive in. Guys, you heard it from one of the best elk callers in the world. He would get him a quality call that fits him. He would dive back into the Internet and listen to elk sounds. Uh, you know, there's some really good podcasts that are out there, Western Contours, elk, elk, you know, Blue Collar Elk Hunting, uh, Corey Jacobson's podcast, all of these guys that have the wealth of knowledge of Colin, man. Y'all get plugged in and, uh, and learn how to make the sounds that will make you successful in September and October when we're in the woods. Um, this was an unbelievable 
podcast, we ask for the juice all the time. That's the juice, guys. Understanding where to go get your information and then put the rubber on the road, man, and really the rubber in your mouth. But at the end of the day, uh, woo, man, that could go real way off. Uh, Unleashed, baby. Yeah. Hey, let me do a let me do a shameless plug if you don't mind. So yes. for anybody that's listening that wants to hear about uh, more about Joe's um, approach in the Elk Woods and some of the episodes that we've done on Western Contours, um, I don't even know how many we've done at this point, but I could tell you right off the bat, ex- episode 265, 289, 259, 298 are really good episodes where Joe and I sit down and we just start dissecting um, everything from from calling to approaches. So if you want to add to this uh, this Geminar um with the other gents and the German are with Jojo. Check those four episodes out. If you, if you look at the Western Contours catalog, I want to say Joe and I have probably six episodes in there. So just search Joe Jilly on that, but there's really, really good solid info in that stuff too for Joe's approach. Yeah, for sure. And wherever Joe's at, if he's in a seminar somewhere, y'all come sit down and, uh, you know, hang out afterwards, get a fist bump from Joe, but this cat can call like nobody's business. Like I said in the intro, he will teach you how to call their mother loving socks off. I mean, <laughs> literally it's so fun to hunt with him and then it's a competition with all of us we're all trying to get better so we're all trying to outdo joe and you know we 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 pale in comparison el jefe but at the end of the day man uh we're all getting better because of it um joe i can't thank you enough for for sticking with us i know your back's killing you uh we appreciate you uh enduring a little bit of poking fun at you too man from the hieroglyphics from the caves and stuff like that where you and knox were elk hunting together Ooh, i got one hand for knox <laughs> uh guys if you like what we're doing please subscribe rate and review us you got to go to apple Podcasts and itunes to review us and be sure to include your name and where you're from to get in in our drawing for the spinner winter wheel and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com and just a reminder if any of our listeners out there would like their questions answered on our show just send your questions to info at elkbros.com that's i-n-f-o at elkbros.com and like we say down here in the lone star state husbands kiss your wives wives kiss your husbands hug your babies keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry and we'll see you next week Right here on Blue Collar Elk. He's I got a whole bag of tricks for five by fives and six by six. Whether there's snow or a bit of rain, all that mountainous terrain. I got a pair of boots that fit just right, and Phelps calls get them close to my side. When I pull the string and I watch that carbon hit, I just elk it. Just elk it. I just elk it. I waited 350 days. I watched the wind blowing from all ways. And I watched the path that he walked in the fall. And there's no failure in my head when all I'm tracking is red. With the fist pump to the sky when the beast is dead. I just elk it. Oh man, I just elk it. I just elk it.
like a baseball bat. His body's as big as a rodeo bull. I'm a cowboy on his back. I slip the buck knife under his skin. I quarter him up with a big old grin. And I feel the pack with the gold that I'm gonna be eating. I just elk it. Oh, man, I just elk it. I just elk it. Now I'm rolling big when I go through town. This rack is turning heads upside down. The cooler's on and he's gonna start chilling on down, down, down. I just elk it. Man, I just elk it. Oh, I just elk it. Come on. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.